Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I love Christmas time and Advent and love singing these old carols and new carols as we celebrate, as we anticipate the Christmas season, the birth of our Savior. This morning we'll be beginning a mini-series on the prophecy of Christmas as we'll be looking at Old Testament passages that prophesy for us about our coming Savior. And our time of study in God's Word and celebration and worship will culminate on Christmas Eve as we'll gather together for a candlelight service at 5 p.m. And so would love for you and your family and extended family and friends to join us for that time of celebration and worship. This morning we will start in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, one verse, verse 15, part of the curse pronounced to Satan after he had betrayed Adam and Eve in the garden. This is God's holy and authoritative word to us. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sweet. We thank you that it is nourishing. We thank you that it is God-breathed, that it pierces our hearts, and that it changes us and makes us new. And so we pray for that this morning, that you would do that in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but obviously I think Christmas snuck up very quickly The sanctuary is dedicated. We're still full from Thanksgiving, but we're making that transition. Tomorrow is December 1st, and at Christmas time, it brings up lots of images, lots of stories that you have in your family and in your past, but also many images and stories of Christmas that we read about in the scriptures, and one such story, one such Uh, image that may come to your mind that you may have heard about involves shepherds and sheep and a great warrior of light coming to make an amazing announcement to some ragtag shepherds out on the hillside in Jerusalem where it says in Luke chapter 2 and in that same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, in this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And to that that bunch, and to that group of ragtag shepherds, 
the most wonderful news that had ever been uttered since the creation of the world came about on that hillside one holy night by an angel of the Lord who proclaimed, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. What was this news of great joy? What was this most wonderful announcement? What was this news that was going to change the world forever? It was that a Savior was born. A rescuer had come. The Messiah was now here. And this is the message of Christmas. Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world, the the promised one of old who would save mankind from their sins and who would pave a way back for man to be in a right relationship with God. He is now here. He has been born. Happy birthday, Jesus. And we generally, though, we look to the New Testament where we find the Christmas story, right? That's where we read about the shepherd and the angels and Mary and Joseph and all the great announcements about Christmas. But the message of Christmas is actually quite old. Christmas had been prophesied. Christmas had been foretold of long, long ago. And we can go back to the very good beginning. At the creation of the world to find the hope of Christmas. All the way back to the garden where we read about our first parents. Where they were created and enjoyed an everlasting and perfect relationship with God their Father. And so we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning to understand why we need Christmas. And we do this. Because we must understand the world into which a Savior was born. We must, unfortunately, we must understand the great fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3. So we turn to the Old Testament first to learn about Christmas. We turn to the Old Testament because as one scholar, James Hamilton, said, the Old Testament is through and through. A messianic document. It is in the Old Testament, long, long ago, that we learn about the Messiah, that we learn about Christmas hope. And so for us to understand the prophecy of Christmas, we're going to start here in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at Christmas foretold, Christmas anticipated, and Christmas realized. Christmas foretold, Christmas anticipated, and Christmas realized. Look there again, will will you with me in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Here in this verse, we have the first promise of a Savior who would be born and who would rescue the sinful world. Genesis chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 15, this verse is called by the theologians as the Proto-evangelism, which means the first gospel. This is the first instance in Scripture, the very beginning of our Bibles, where we learn about the good news. You may recall from your Bible reading, and if you haven't, please go and read Genesis, but 
In Genesis, the book of beginnings, God created the world. And the pinnacle of his creation was that he created man in his own image. And man became a living being with a soul. Man had a perfect, harmonious relationship. The Bible says that Adam actually walked with God in the garden and communed with him daily. And then God created woman from man. And they became a married couple and were given the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to fill God's earth with his kingdom and with his glory. But they were given one prohibition. In the middle of the garden, they were free to eat from any of the trees, to partake of any of God's blessings that he had given to his people, except for they must not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, it was shortly after that that in the garden, the tempter there, Satan, was perhaps enjoying this fruit for himself after he had already rebelled against God. And so he tempted Eve with the fruit. He tempted Eve with this empty promise that she and Adam could be like God if they just partake of this fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Adam and Eve should have laughed in his face. Because they already were like God. They already were in his image. They already did enjoy fellowship and communion with him. But man being created with freedom in God's image did so choose and did fall. Fall out of relationship with God. Fall out of perfect communion with him. And that sin entered the world. And our head, Adam, he represented the whole human race when he fell. All of mankind fell into sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, we immediately discover that there was pain, suffering, hate, Shame, all the bad things that we can think of entered the world. Things turned bad pretty quickly due to sin in the world. And because of this, the need for salvation and the need for a savior came about just as quickly. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that great theologian Matthew Henry says, Here was the dawn of the gospel day. No sooner was the wound given than the remedy was provided and revealed. Here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We need Christmas. Christmas is wonderful. Christmas is a time of celebration because Christmas fulfills a great need because we need a Savior. And in Genesis 3, verse 15, we find that hope, that gospel hope of salvation. And then from this point forward, here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in in one sense, you can kind of divide the whole Bible. Everything was good and fine and perfect before verse 15. And then from Genesis 3, 
15 on through the book of Revelation to the very end of our Bibles, we see how this promise made was going to be carried out. And again, Matthew Henry says, this gracious revelation of a Savior came unasked and unlooked for. Without a revelation of mercy, giving some hope of forgiveness, the convinced sinner would sink into despair and be hardened. By faith in this promise, our first parents, the patriarchs before the flood, were justified and saved. Here in Genesis 3.15, notice is given concerning Christ. And the announcement of a Savior, the announcement of, in a sense, Christmas, salvation, ironically, came in the form of a curse given to Satan. Here in Genesis 3.15, the Lord God, Yahweh Almighty, is cursing Satan. But this promise of a Savior is made in the context of verse 14, which is, begins the curse to the certain ser- serpent, which is Satan. And in verse 15, we find again in this curse made first to the serpent, which is Satan, the proto-evangelum, the first hope, the first promise, the first instance of the gospel, of the good news. So Eve and Adam were obviously standing by, close by, when the Lord God, Yahweh Almighty, was pronouncing a judgment, was pronouncing a curse upon them. And Eve heard this curse that was given to Satan. And she was probably listening very closely. And if she was listening closely, she would have seen a promise that was pronounced in this curse, a promise that was perhaps hidden in this curse. So realizing that they had committed cosmic treason and had failed their king and maker, Adam and Eve are now holding on to a promise. And that promise in verse 15 is that she would begat She would give birth to a child. And this child would undo the curse. This child would restore order. This child would destroy Satan. This child would bruise, would crush the head of Satan and undo the power of sin and death. And so expectant. So excited, so wanting and waiting for this one who would come and deliver them, we see a hint of this we'll look at momentarily in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 where she screams out that she believes that he is here. But hold on to that for a moment. But in Genesis 3.15, we have what the theologians call the birth of Seed theology, the theology of the two seeds. Some of your translations may say offspring. There'll be enmity between the offspring of Satan and that of the woman or between the seed, 
The seed is an old English word that can be translated offspring, which means the children of or the successors of a family lineage. And so the world is now in chaos. The world is now in strain under sin because of the tension that exists between the seed of the woman those belonging to Christ Jesus and the seed of Satan, those who have rebelled against God. And there is now enmity. There is now hostility between the two seeds. And the hope of Genesis chapter 3.15, the promise that we find hidden away here is that there would be one born of the woman who would come And rescue the people of God and undo the curse. The one who would bruise, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And undo the power of sin and death caused by Satan. And that's depressing, isn't it? (laughs) And that's the world we live in. And a big issue of our day... And a big issue even in the church is that sometimes we think that we live in a Genesis 1 and 2 world. We think that we live in a world with no evil, no sin. And maybe our theology informs us, so we say we don't think that way, but maybe we act that way, and we certainly react that way. Because we do, in fact, live in a fallen and broken world. And we look at the news of our day, and even we look in our own simple hearts. We often ignore sin. And we often ignore the evil of our world. But Genesis chapter 3 should cause us to wake up. And realize that we do, in fact, live in a fallen and broken world. A sinful world. In a sinful world in which much of the sin starts with our own hearts. With our own rebellion against God. And because of this, we need Christmas. The world and we need a savior we need rescuing and so from genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and on for the rest of scripture until the christ comes again the world lives in great anticipation of a savior of a longing for the curse to be undone so we live in great anticipation. So that's the second thing here, Christmas anticipated. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter, verse 1. In Genesis chapter 3, God had just finished his curse upon Satan, upon Adam, upon Eve, upon the world. And man was then cast out of the garden and not free to eat from the tree of life anymore. The world now 
was in chaos and sin, and a Savior was needed. But nevertheless, Adam and Eve still had their creation mandate. They still had their calling. And that was still to be fruitful and to multiply and to glorify the Lord and to bring his glory down upon the earth. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, many scholars believe that the words of of Eve here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, indicate that she thought that her son, her first son, Cain, was that promised one, was that one who would crush the head of Satan. And so in Hebrew, we read these words, and these words of Eve might read something like this, where she said, here he is, or I've got him. It was great anticipation in her, her, her voice where she was essentially saying, I have brought forth a man, even, even the deliverer, he's here. It could be that Eve lived with such anticipation that she thought she had given birth to the actual promised deliverer she did not know at this point that she had actually given birth to a killer rather than the Christ. So we go on to read in Genesis chapter 4 that her firstborn, who she had high hopes for, even hopes of being the Savior, was actually a murderer. And because of sin and evil that had entered the world, he would go on to kill his own brother. How disappointed Adam and Eve must have been because instead of a savior, all they got was a sinner, just like them. And every parent in this room (laughs) knows that well, that every child that we have given birth to, that we have raised, has gone on to become a sinner. And we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the apostle Paul says that therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. This is the dark reality of the world into which we are born into. We are sinners by nature, and the world has fallen, and it is dark. It is depressing because spiritual death reigns over creation. This is the reality by which Christmas, though, comes as good news. And for all of God's people from this time forward, they would, they would live. We live in great anticipation. For God's people of old, when would the promised seed come? When would the Messiah come and destroy the enemies of God and rescue the world? How will they find salvation from their sins? Genesis 4 verse 1 is what 
the anticipation and the hope of Christmas is all about. We, we are like Eve. We are eagerly awaiting a Savior, eagerly anticipating the one who will come to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15. Who will crush the power of sin and death? Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. So we're going to flip to the New Testament now. At least you think I'm just making all this up. This promise, this promise seed, this promise one who would undo the power of sin and death is actually explained for us here in Hebrews chapter 2. And that's where we'll look at Christmas realized. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I have good news for you. We do not live as those who have no hope. For we know and we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has been born and that he died and that he rose again. And it is with that hope that Christmas is now realized among us. We have now lived to know and to see that the Savior, the promised seed, has been born. That is what the angel came to pronounce to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The promises of Christmas in Genesis 3.15 have now come true. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, we read, And since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook on the same things, that through death, his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring, the seed of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so the writer of the Hebrews proclaims, the one who would come and crush the power of sin and death, who would bruise, who would crush, who would kill the head of Satan, has now come. 
And he did this by being born. Born to die. Born so that man no more may die. Born to save the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. In Christ Jesus, Christmas is now a reality. We've looked at some pretty bad news, some pretty bleak news of sin and death and the fall. But I love it as our catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism number 20 puts it. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? In other words, did God just, oh well, leave us alone and let us just die in our sin and misery? No. God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, he did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by our Redeemer the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to rescue us from sin and misery. If you've been paying any attention to the news, there is other news going on besides Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl, and we won't talk about that. The news has been covered up by the events going on in Ferguson, Missouri. And I don't want to make a political statement this morning or judgment because the responses have been varied. But in times of turmoil and unrest and even injustice and injustice, what does the church have to say to these things? What message can Christmas offer to the unrest in the world. Well, I think some of the most profound truth that I have read has come from a professional football player, a tight end for the New Orleans Saints named Ben Watson. He wrote an excellent essay on what was going on in his mind and heart, thinking through and processing the world in which we live in. So go and look up that essay and read it. I don't have time to read it, but I'm going to read you the last paragraph of what NFL tight end Ben Watson said. He gives a a variety of different emotions that he's feeling, from sad to happy, from discouraged to encouraged. But in the end, he says he's encouraged. And listen to what he says. I'm encouraged. Because ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover up our own sin. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I am encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus. 
and with it a transformed heart mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what is truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Gardner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. I think you got it right. In a world of sin and death and misery, it is the gospel, the gospel that is proclaimed at Christmas time that gives mankind hope. That is what Christmas is about. God has sent us salvation. Sin and death has been conquered. The head of Satan has been crushed. Because hope is found in the gospel. Jesus has been born. Born to die. So that we would not have to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we confess to you this morning that we fail to realize how desperate our condition is. We fail to truly see sin's curse, sin's power, the the state of of death and misery that we we live in. We, We sinfully just try to cover it up. But Lord, let us let us be mindful. Let us be eyes wide open. That we do not live as those who have no hope. Lord, that we cannot live in a reality that ignores sin and death and misery. But let Christmas remind us that we have hope, that there is good news, that this old, old promise has been fulfilled before our very eyes by the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our great King Savior and Rescuer, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, help us. Help us to go tell it on the mountain. Help us to go tell it everywhere that Christ has been born so that man no more may die. Thank you for the good news. We praise you in Jesus' name.